0: In the 1960s and 1970s, a psychologist named Walter Mischel conducted a series of experiments that today we now know affectionately as the marshmallow test. Some of us are aware of that. It's a pretty fascinating study. He examined uh, four-year-olds, okay, four-year-old children, and and the whole test was simply this. He would put a marshmallow in front of a child sitting at a table, and he said, "Uh, okay, if you can wait 20 minutes before eating this, you will receive another marshmallow. You'll get two. It's two-for-one deal, right? And then they, he left the room, and of course, cameras were on, and you would sit there, and the, you would watch the children. And uh, those children that waited 20 minutes did. They received the reward. They got another marshmallow. Uh, those that didn't, that was it. They just, they were done. They got their marshmallow, and they wondered, why was that a test, right? Uh, but the fascinating part about the research was what happened when he studied these children over many many years several decades and what he discovered was unbelievable because those students those children that were patient uh, had developed some internal and they're only four years old some internal what he called cooling strategies the ability to wait instead of grabbing the marshmallow and eating it now uh, they were able to have these delay abilities Uh, they had resources somehow they had skills at four years old to plan ahead to conceive of a greater reward and to offset the brain's greedy demands for instant gratification. That's what he wrote about in his scholarly work. Now, then he studied the children over the years and he discovered that as these children made their way into and through adolescence, they were different than the students that had grabbed the marshmallows and eaten them right away. In fact, those that had the ability to wait were better adjusted in life. Uh, they were more dependable in life. They scored an average of 210 more on the SAT, you know, in order to go to college. Uh, they exhibited specific traits even later in life, including higher self-esteem and self-worth, lower rates of obesity, lower rates of drug use, lower rates of divorce, and lower rates of depression. Now, how many of us would have just grabbed the marshmallow? And, and the marshmallow of the neighbor next to us, Right. Yeah, just take over the room, right? There's something inside you and me that wants what we want, and we want it now, right? There's just this natural urge. And I think in our culture, in our Western society in America, we're so blessed. We have so many of these blessings that we have come to expect them. We feel like we're entitled to these things, and we need them now. We deserve them now. Waiting is hard for us, and the question is why. Why is it so hard to wait when you know that there's a greater reward if you wait? Well, I think we all think we're the exception, right? That somehow if you knew my circumstances, if you knew my situation, if you knew what was going on, if you knew what I needed, then you would understand why I don't have to wait right now, that I can do it right now. And I think we just desire this instant gratification. Instant gratification is just defined as the desire to experience pleasure or fulfillment without delay or deferment. That is our culture. Everything we are in life is about instant gratification. That we want it now because we somehow deserve it. And it's the opposite of delayed gratification. When you and I succumb to instant gratification, the desire to experience pleasure and fulfillment without any deferment, then you and I begin to be entitled Now, I wrote down some ways that instant gratification has shown up in my life, and I'd like to kind of walk you through some of these, and and I'm not condemning you, uh, but you're probably going to fall into it with me. Um, Indulging in junk food versus healthy snacks, right? Anybody ever succumb to that instant gratification? Come on. Eating unhealthy fast food versus a slow nutritious meal, right? I mean, come on, you're driving along. It's one of my big problems. I'm driving, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, and there's a Taco Bell everywhere, right? And they have Doritos. That's healthy somehow, Uh, but it has a Diet Coke, so it kind of counters the whole thing, right? Uh, Hitting the snooze button versus getting up early to exercise. Anybody just like again and again snooze button? Nobody's explained this to me, but if you can, please, after service or email to me, why the snooze button is always nine minutes. It doesn't matter what kind of clock you get. It's always nine minutes. There must be some circadian rhythm or something where you're just starting to fall apart. And boom, all of a sudden you wake up again. It's a torture to test, right? But hit the snooze button versus getting up and doing something, potentially exercising. Going out with friends. Versus finishing schoolwork. Anybody struggle with that? Or, or homework or something to do. I, I finished my doctoral work a year ago, and, and I had to write this on the wall as I came down the stairs. And it sat there, or hung there on the wall for a couple of years. It said, live a little, die a lot. Or die a little and live a lot. And that was my challenge. Often I chose to live a little. <laughs> Because that's easier because I want it now, right? It's easier. I mean, I I have such ADD sometimes that it's just I get distracted. I just want that one thing. Then it ends up taking me forever. And then I suffer as a result of it, right? Versus saying, I'm going to choose the greater reward right now. Well, staying out late with friends versus getting a good night's sleep. Anybody struggle with that? Me, it's more about staying up late, whether working on the computer or watching endless cat videos on YouTube. Uh... (laughs) buying on credit versus waiting until you have enough money right that's the American way that's just how we do it and and it's like 72 easy payments none of them are easy right and and so we just think that's what we that's just kind of how it works we know nothing about the old way of life which was you save up money until you get it or even the old layaway plan you have to be really old to understand layaway but layaway was where you put money in and you didn't receive it till you paid the last payment and that's so un-American today we can just whip out our credit card and get it now, and 36 years later, we've paid off the debt, right? <laughs> Compounded interest has destroyed our future, but that's instant gratification. And then finally, uh, staring at a screen versus achieving a long-term goal. Uh, these devices, as, as fascinating as they are, as helpful as they are, um, are really distracting with notifications that pop up all the time, with uh, a countless number of, you know, Candy Crush games and, you know, all kinds of, you know, f- wonderful Clash Royales and things like that. I mean, y- you, can, you can do this all day long. You can spend your life on Facebook. And it's not really life. And, and we know by research that you're more depressed after you spend time on a screen. Because it doesn't give you life. It takes life away. But those are examples of why, you know, we exhibit, or how we exhibit this. And I would like to say this, that the marshmallow test shows us as strange as it might be, that there is a value in waiting. And when we can develop the discipline to say no now so we can say yes later, there's a greater reward, and we discover and we learn that there is something that will change us. It's proven to change our diet, our mental health, our career achievement, even our entire outlook on life when we can choose to develop discipline. Discipline. Now, the reason I I bring up this idea of waiting is because every week in this series on the Songs of Christmas, we've been talking about waiting because the whole Christmas story was about waiting. If we go way back in time, we discover this. We we not only saw Elizabeth and Zechariah, they had waited their whole life to have a child and finally in their old age, the angel Gabriel says you're going to conceive and have a child. I mean, obviously, not only that Joseph and Mary story where Mary is a virgin, and yet she's going to have a child by the Holy Spirit. They had to wait nine months. But the truth is this, is that when you really look at the Christmas story, it starts hundreds of years before Mary and Joseph. It, it, not just 400 years, because the Old Testament ends 400 years before Jesus shows up, with the prophet Malachi predicting John the Baptist, uh, the, you know, the Elijah to come. But even before that, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah is saying that there will be a child born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Prince of Peace, all that, that Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus. You could go back to David, King David, when God promised that there would be a descendant always that sat on his throne, and people began to see there's going to be a son of David that shows up. You go back to Moses. Moses, when he is a prophet, and there's another prophet that's going to come in the way of Moses. You go back to Abraham. You could go back to Genesis chapter 3, where God promises at the very beginning of everything, that Jesus is going to come. A child is going to be born and is going to strike down the serpent. And so all throughout the Old Testament is woven this beautiful story of a Messiah that comes. And the whole Christmas story is about waiting. And not just waiting in your lifetime, but waiting for lifetimes. And in the middle of the story, we discover a man who waited his whole life for Jesus. Now, it's a rather obscure story. In fact, it actually happens after the birth of Christ, eight days after the birth of Christ. So he's not in the story of the nativity. He's not anywhere in any of our cards or Christmas cards or any of our songs. He's not going to have a Christmas special with Frosty or anything like that. There's just really nothing about this guy that screams Christmas. But the reality is his whole life had been waiting For Christmas his name is Simeon and you can find a story in Luke chapter 2 verses 25 to 35 if you want to turn in your Bible there. Now the story of Jesus birth is in Matthew and in Luke but today in this series we're looking at Luke. And so let's jump into verse 25 and we'll see the story of this man that waited patiently for God and the promises that God had given to him. At that time I'll share what that means in just a moment. There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, the Jewish people at this time, they had read their prophecies. They had read the Old Testament, the Bible that they had. And they knew that a Messiah was coming. But unfortunately, their view of a Messiah was rather skewed based on their perspective of the day which is what we do as well right so they're in bondage Uh, Rome is leading and ruling over them uh, they're not free to worship like they want. I mean, they're allowed some freedoms of worship, but they have an oppressor, the Romans over them, the soldiers that are guarding, that are watching, that are examining every public gathering, that are limiting the number of people that could gather in one spot for fear of some kind of revolt because the zealots, the you know, the extremists, the terrorists of the day were basically going through the Roman Empire, at least in relationship to the Holy Land and trying to cause havoc to overthrow the Romans. And so the Romans were really nervous about the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were really nervous about the Romans because they didn't want them there. So nobody was happy, right? They just were not pleased in the relationship. But Rome ruled and Israel suffered. And so they were crying out for a Messiah and all they could see was a military Messiah. And their salvation was from a military perspective. And God had promised salvation from a spiritual perspective. That God wanted to free not just his people, but all people everywhere through this Messiah. And so this guy's waiting for the Messiah to come, and he had been promised from God. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Think about this. You know, we don't see this or know this because the scripture is not, you know, in existence between the Old and New Testament, but seemingly the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up in 400 years, Right. There's no prophet that's risen up. There's no scripture text. There's no declaration from God. There's a lot of history, but God shows up now. And this first indication is God shows up in Simeon and the Holy Spirit declares, you're going to see, and actually later you're going to hold the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. Now, before we go on with his words, I just want to make a comment here. Why was Mary and Joseph in the temple? Well, it was Old Testament law that said uh, when a mother and father gave birth to their firstborn son, they were to take that son and they were to dedicate that son to God. And and for a mother, there were certain purification rites after the birth of their child. And you can see based on this situation in this, this text that Mary and Joseph were really poor because they brought the bare minimum sacrifice to offer because of this child. And so in their poverty, they bring Jesus, the wealth of all salvation right there, and they bring him to dedicate him to the Lord. Also, it was a naming ceremony where his name would be declared as Jesus, that he saves his people from their sins. And also, it was the day that, that the young boys were circumcised. So it's a very important day in the life of a Jewish person. Later on, the Apostle Paul hearkens back to his life and says, hey, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. And so this is a very important moment for Mary and Joseph to fulfill the law, to fulfill the responsibility of a culture of very high religious and moral standards. And they're going there to the temple that day. Now, why was Simeon there? Because he was waiting. We, we, We don't know anything about him. We don't know if he had any kind of priestly role. We don't know if he was somehow a servant in the temple. We don't know what his job was or what he did, but we know that he was waiting for the Lord to deliver him. And into that moment, Simeon walks up to Mary and Joseph and reaches out his hands to hold the baby Jesus. Now think about this. If you've been blessed to be a parent, uh, maybe a grandparent or aunt or uncle, you know what it's like to hold a brand new baby, you know. I, I, I just got to, you know, just, just squeeze little baby's fingers just before the message. Just, uh, I, if I'd had time, I'd have just held the baby through the whole sermon, you know. I love, I love babies. They're awesome, Right? Um, I'll I'll see babies, and they're carried in. Oh, can I carry the baby for you? You know, I love that. And I can't carry my sons anymore. Okay, all right. They're a little big for that. But that, you know, there's nothing like a baby. Would you just go get married and have kids so we can have grandkids? That would be awesome. Okay, any day now. Uh, Okay, wait a couple years, perhaps. But there's this thought of a baby. I love it. You know what? I, 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 I see these moms and these dads with these babies. And I just want to go up and I, you know, I get to hold them every once in a while and they're like, oh, no, don't worry. See this right here? This shirt hasn't seen spit up. This is like a spit up free shirt. It needs some. It's okay. I, I have spray and wash. I used to stand there and spray my shirts and I loved it because the evidence of having babies, right? Now you can change the diaper. I'm done with that. But the fact <laughs> is, is that to hold a baby close to you, the hope of a future and a generation to come. What a precious moment. But you know, as a mom or dad, that's kind of freaky, right? You brought your kid to church, there, you know, four, five, six weeks, and, and you didn't, you're not going to put them in the nursery because there might be some baby with a cold or something like that. And you, you brought them in the service. You hope they're not going to cry, but they're just sleeping anyway. And then some guy walks up and says, can I hold your baby? You're like, are you kidding me? Who are you? <laughs> An old guy walking up to the temple and reaching out to hold the baby Jesus. Somehow, something goes on. And Mary and Joseph hand Jesus, their baby, over to Simeon. And he makes this beautiful, beautiful statement. Look what he says. Sovereign Lord. This just means, God, your eternal plans are still working. God, you're in charge. In the midst of, you know, waiting all these years, this is the moment, God. God. I mean he, he could have been waiting days, weeks, months, years, decades we don 't know. but Simeon had been waiting for the day. He could have shown up to the temple, wondering, holy spirit, are you 're going to speak again or you 're going to point out the child? I know you said this, but how's it going to work what 's it going to look like? And now all of a sudden this is the moment. Sovereign Lord, the early church prayed this. When they were in the middle of persecution they go, "Sovereign Lord, you're large and in charge. You can do anything you want, and you've appointed this time for this moment, for this experience. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Simeon basically says, God, I, I can die now. <laughs> I, what I've been hoping for and waiting for, it's over, you know. I, I've spent time with people in the hospital, and I've been there on their deathbed, and, and as families gather around, and when they're ready to go or when they're not ready to go, and I've seen people, it's like, okay, everybody's here. I'm ready to go. I've had my peace. This event happened, this situation. I was able to say things. I'm ready to go now, God. There's nothing holding me back to this earth anymore i'm free to go simeon says this child is going to be a light the messiah not just that i get to hold but the nation our people the israelites get to experience and not just the israelites but all of the earth all the gentiles everywhere will see him as the light of salvation i have i've held your salvation in my arms i have seen it and i can go now Two weeks ago, my wife and I went to visit uh, a family in Boise, and I had bought tickets a a couple weeks, a month earlier, anticipating that this would be the last time I see my friend because he was dying of cancer. And so we had set this up, and it was on a Wednesday. And so we were prepared, and we were ready to go. And two days before, on Monday, my birthday actually, I got the call that he died. And uh, my heart ached. I, I was filled with tears. He's a very dear person in my life. He mentored me. He taught me how to pray. Um, t- we played guitar together. Um, we, we just experienced a lot of fun together. And we were on a journey for five years when I was a youth pastor in Boise. He was just the dearest friend. He and his wife. And then their kids. I got to have all kids in the youth group. And so I discipled four of their kids. And, and um, my wife and I decided to go anyway. So we went to Boise. And we were able to engage in that and, and, and you know, just be a part of their morning and part of the celebration because Lindsay knew the Lord and he just wanted to go you know the cancer had been there for far too long and it had come back after being gone and he was ready to go and we were able to not just be blessed by being there but be a blessing to them and serve them in some ways and well when, when the night was you know basically toward its end and the grandkids had gone home uh, Joy her, her, his wife and and the kids were gathered there. My wife and I gathered them together on the sofa in the living room. And, and I shared this with them. Which is the word that Simeon used when he said, okay, now I can die. It's the same word, actually, Paul used when he said to Timothy, okay, now it's time for me to die. My departure. It's a word that means to loosen. Simeon experienced the Messiah and said, now I can be free to go. This is what the word means. The word. Uh, was used when you would take a slave and set a slave free and take the shackle off, loosen the shackle. The word was used when you would loosen the mooring ropes of a ship and let the ship sail off to the next journey. The word was used when you would take um, this tent and you would break the tent down, maybe it's a military tent, and you would pack it up and you would go on to the next part of your destination. The word was also used When you would take a beast of burden and you would release it from the cart and the the (laughs) yoke, and you would free the animal from the weight. And in many ways, those who pass from cancer have all those experiences. In fact, the Bible says all of us, when we pass from this life to the next, we're not experienced in the end, (laughs) we're experienced in the beginning, the real journey. And, And that's what Simeon is saying. In my old age, I'm ready to go and finally live. I'm ready to be loosened from this earth. I am done. I am going on because I have seen your salvation. And then he gives this amazing prophecy about Jesus to his mother Mary. Take a look at these words. It's so beautiful. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, that, that's not something I say at a baby dedication, right? <laughs> I wouldn't memorize that when you go to the birthing part of the hospital, right? That's pretty weird, Well, it's pretty beautiful when you think about it. In fact, this is what Simeon is saying as he holds the salvation of the world in his arms as he speaks to his mother Mary. He gives this prophecy. He says, you know, this child, first of all, is going to be a stone. Now, the word stone is not used there, but that's the metaphor that's used because the Bible in the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible speaks about God as a stone, but also God's people as a stone being carved out and hewn out from a rock so that we are God's people. We're the building blocks of God's kingdom, of God's family, of God's church. But what happens in an amazing way is that later Jesus becomes to be known as the cornerstone, which is the chief stone, the one that you start and build the whole building on. And so Jesus is the cornerstone. So Jesus is a stone that we can stand on for salvation, But also we know as we read the story of Jesus' life, he was a different kind of stone. He was a stumbling stone for people. There were many Jews that received him for salvation, and there were many that just discarded his words. The religious leaders, by and large, not all, but by and large, they didn't stand on the cornerstone of Jesus for salvation. They stumbled over the stone of Jesus as they refused to believe they were offended by him. My friends, I would say the same thing is true today. Jesus is a stone, and you will either stand on him for salvation or you will stumble over him and be offended. And in our modern day and age, the idea that we need salvation is an offense. It's just a putrid thought to think that I can't make it on my own, that I can't work my way, that I can't achieve my way, that by my morals or my values or my ethics or whatever I decide to do, that I'm going to throw off all these things that are supposedly God's laws and I'm going to make it myself. It's an offense to say that you have to come to Jesus for salvation, but my friends, that's Jesus. He's an offensive God sometimes because he says, unless you're able to become like a little child, and have the faith of a child. And humble yourself. And confess your sins. You can't have this salvation. Unless you're to bow down before him. You can't stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The chief cornerstone. But when you do. When you cry out that Jesus is the stone you're standing on. You receive salvation. And you're going to go to the rest of your life. Either standing on him. Or stumbling over him. Nation of Israel. By and large they stumbled over him. And, and then this, this is. This is really interesting. He's a sign. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. If you think about the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus as the Apostle John, his closest disciple, relates this. John doesn't use the word miracle, although Jesus did amazing miracles. He uses the word sign. And the reason is it's because like a signpost pointing to the fact that this one is sent from God. Uh, When Jesus had power over physical illness... When Jesus had power over uh, the physical realm, the storms, he calmed the storms, the wind and the waves with his voice. When Jesus had power over the demonic world, he exercised the demons from people and cast them out. When Jesus even had power over life and death itself and he raised people from the grave, including himself later on. All those were signs that Jesus truly is who he says he was. And it really wasn't pointing so much to Jesus, but to God. Because Jesus says, I've just come to do the work of the Father. i am just come to lift up the Father. And when I lift up the Father, the Father will lift me up. And when I am lifted up on a cross, God will draw all people to himself through me. And Jesus is a sign. And he's either a sign that tells you you're going the wrong way or the right way. And, and sometimes we don't like those one-way signs. I know that's why I don't visit Portland very much, <laughs> for many other reasons. But I don't like somebody telling me I can't go down the road when I want to turn left. It's like, why can't I turn left? What foolish person decided I can't turn left? How dare you say something like that? I want to go my way. But Jesus is a sign. And he says there's only one way. When we go that way, it's a sign That leads to life and peace. And then finally, Simeon said this. He said there's also going to be a sword. Now, this is particular to Mary, but it's a beautiful thing to think through, as tragic as it is. Mary, there's a sword that's going to pierce your own soul because of this child. Now, it's hard to fathom what that would be like for a mother to hear that. Uh, Obviously, she knows at this point that she's given birth to the Messiah, which is pretty awesome, okay? None of us have ever done that, okay? And we never will, okay? No, not to diminish the beauty of your child. Um, but this is God's anointed one, and yet it's gonna go bad? No, it's gonna go really bad. A, a sword's gonna pierce your very soul. She began to discover, as you see through the, the Gospels, just these glimpses of, she treasures, hides it away. And can you imagine a mother sending her son, Jesus, off? Somewhere along the the road, we don't know how or where, but Joseph dies, and Jesus is now the firstborn, and he goes off to do ministry when he's about 30 years old, and you can imagine the confusion and the concern that Mary has as a mother. And so here, you know, this is her son, and he goes off to do ministry, and she sees and hears, and she becomes a part of the following group, and then she sees the betrayal, and she sees her son hanging on a cross, her (laughs) Son, her baby that she bore from her own womb is hanging on a cross and and, and everybody else is either mocking or jeering or laughing or the disciples are weeping. And her son looks down from that cross and he says, Mother, behold your son. And he points to John, his best friend. John, behold your mother. And he hands his mother off to John, who John then later takes care of the rest of his life. History tells us that Mary migrated to Ephesus, where John was the pastor of the church there and passed away there. Can you imagine the sword piercing a mother's heart to see her son die like that? That's because that was the plan of God all along. And Mary got to see it through all the pain, got to experience it. And then when he was resurrected, got to understand in a way. Undoubtedly, she never, ever imagined that her son truly was the Messiah. And my friends, I would say this. The sword that pierced the side of Jesus pierced Jesus for you and for me. Because you can either choose to die in your sins, or you can choose to let Jesus' death take all your sins away. The name Simeon, it's a pretty fascinating name. It means hearkening or in our, that's old English, but in our way it'd be to listen to or to acknowledge or to lend an ear. It's a great name because when you think about it, here's this, this guy waiting for the Lord to speak. He's heard the Lord speak and now he's waiting for the Lord. Some of us, you, you're waiting, right? You're waiting for the Lord. You're waiting for the Lord to speak. Uh, you, need, you need Simeon in your life. You need a hearkening from the Lord. You need, you need to know that God is lending you his ear, right? He's, he's paying attention. He's leaning down to hear your whispers or your cries. Simeon is a reminder for you and for me, whatever your ache is, whatever your hurt is, whatever your cry is, whatever promise you're standing on, God is not silent, and he's not waiting beyond his sovereign plan. But it's usually not our plan. It's God's plan. But see, that's why he's sovereign, because he knows so much more than we do. And, and, and it, I just finished the book of Hebrews in my daily Bible reading, and I'm telling you, most of those people that are heroes of the faith, they didn't get to see it in their lifetime. In fact, they were looking for a, a future blessing and a future city and a future promise to come through. And, and the Bible says that the world wasn't even worthy of them because of their faith in God. And my friends, we miss out on growth when we are not patient. We miss out on blessings when we grab that marshmallow <laughs> We miss out on the Holy Spirit's work in our life to refine us and purify us and strengthen us when we just short-circuit it and grab it because we want it now. But when we learn to wait, when we learn to cry out, we will discover that our God hears us and he lends an ear and he pays attention to our cries. And if we're faithful, My friends, our God will show Himself to be so much more faithful. If we choose to be patient, our God is immensely patient. When we choose to put our trust into the hands of the sovereign Lord, that sovereign Lord shows up in ways that are far greater than we ever could imagine. And so I I don't know what you're waiting for. I, I don't know what the cry of your heart is. Is it a restored relationship? Is it something that's gone wrong in your family, and your job, and your marriage, and your finances? Is it a hope deferred, a dream that just hasn't come true? Is it a crushing weight that you have? I don't know what it is, but I know this. Whatever it is, when you choose to put your trust in the promises of God, He hears you. And even though we might think He hasn't heard us, we might think that He's forgotten about us, He's heard every cry. The Bible says He's captured every tear in a bottle. And He will deliver us at just the right time, which I have to tell you is probably not our time and probably not our plan, but it's His plan. And when you choose to put your trust into the sovereign Lord, when you do that and He shows up, it will be worth the wait. Let's pray together. Father God, to a family here, to a church that's waiting. And whatever cry, whatever heartache, whatever dream, whatever hope, Lord, I pray that we would put our hope and trust in you. And God, just imagine what it would look like when you finally show up and deliver us, that it would be so much greater than if we would have short-circuited your plan and just grabbed it right now, because that's only going to fill us with heartache and sorrow. It's only going to hurt us. And many of us here have gone down that road and you're such a good God that you'll redeem us in spite of all that and you will restore us in spite of that and you will rescue us in spite of just grabbing that marshmallow now and just thinking that we have to have it. You're a good God and you're a God that's given us Jesus, a stone to stand on as our living solid rock. You've given a sign that you've pointed over and over again. Here, messages, people, encounters, your spirit pointing all to Jesus to draw us to yourself. Our Savior died by a sword finally being pierced into his side on that cross and the blood and the water flowing out as an indication that he was gone as he gave up his spirit because he suffered for us. And so, Father, may we put our trust and hope in you and you alone And wait for the day of your salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.